Welcome back to the Nub. I am your host, Nabade, and oh, it's nearly over. It's been one of the best tournaments that I've experienced, and we have an absolute monster show ahead. I spoke to Italy fan Gianni and also Tom, who's an England fan, and both had a lot to say on where this game will be decided. This is not an Italian team of old. We commit men forward, and that yeah, leaves those that play like in the De Bruyne position. So maybe a Mason Mount or your wide forwards drifting inside. Sterling, for example, could get a lot of a lot of space on the counter. Give Sterling space, and yeah, it's could be game over. We're not going to set up to try and outpossess Italy. That ain't going to happen because we, we can't. We're not good. We're not good enough to do it. But I think if we can with the legs and the pressing of Rice and Phillips, if they can get into Jorginho early, because Jorginho is the key to Italy. If you can stop him playing and breaking lines, we can kill Italy on the break. I spoke to Freddie Paxton about England and Gareth Southgate, and he had a lot to say about the gaffer. I do think that undoubtedly, if if, if we go and win the Euros now, this will be forever remembered as, as a golden generation of, of English football and Southgate, obviously, maybe wasn't expected to be the man to deliver that. We also spoke to Sam Tai, co-host of the Ranks FC podcast, and I asked him who will be the players that get the big money moves. Even though after even the groups, I was saying, no, 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 no. He's only he's only joined Atalanta in the last year. Like he's playing Champions League football. Like there's no need to pull that trigger. And then literally about two, two games later, I was like, he's amazing, pull the trigger. <laughs> All that and more in episode five of The Nub. This one's gonna be tasty. joined by a good friend and also Italy fan Gianni um you just said can you just tell us what you said off air there please because you hopped on and you're not in a good state hey I'm stressing I can't I I feel I've got the butterflies already I know we're three four days out but I'm just absolute I this is not the fixture for me it could have been anyone in the final but an England Italy final scares me so much all my mates are English I will never live this down if if we lose this football match I'm just going to quickly say for people who can't see you, he's got an Italy shirt on. His room is peppered with Italy shirts. He might sound English to you, but he's definitely Italian. And it reminds me of when we were at the Italy-Spain game, there was a guy in front of us with his dad. He was born, He the guy was born in England. His, I guess his dad's Italian, his mom's English. He was bawling his eyes out at full time. And he was so happy. It was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. What was it like for you, Italy-Spain? Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much me and the same. Like, my dad's Italian, my mum's English. My mates always used to give me stick as a kid. I turn up to football practice in my, you know, my Serie A team jerseys or my Italy <laughs> jerseys. Like, why? You're living in England, you sound English, you look English. But for me, like, I grew up watching football with my dad, right? And we often support the same teams as our dads when it comes to club football. Yeah. So why not with international? Like, my, my earliest memory is um usa 94 Bajo sky in the penalty like as a kid i was what six seven years old then i can i can remember that um and since then yeah i've just fallen in love with it like i've always loved italian football and for me like this is as big as it gets i've seen italy lose two euro finals as well like 2000 the golden goal 2012 the four nil loss to spain heartbreaking mate i feel like we're due well it, as you say you feel like we're due Tom, who is our England fan, has just hopped in. So let's get him in because we've never done this before on the nub. We've never had two fans from opposite nations. And I think it's only right. It's the final. It's got to be done. Let's see if we can get Tom in. 
England, Italy, we've got Tom, who's obviously representing the England corner, Gianni, the Italian corner. Um, Tom, I'll let you go first. England in the final. How are you feeling as a whole going up against Italy? Um, well, I've fancied Italy from the start to do well. The thing with Italy, they've impressed me. I think they've been very good, but I feel like the further it's gone on, the more holes and weaknesses I've seen in them. So, like, before, if you would have asked me before the Spain game the other day, I would have said, I definitely want to play Spain instead of Italy. After that game, I was happy Italy have gone through. I think we've seen the best of Italy, whereas we haven't seen the best of England yet. I still think there's another level England can go to, whereas I think Italy, especially with Spinozola being out and stuff, oh, I think they're beatable, but so are England, though. This is the thing. So, it was a good game. I, think, I, I really do think it's a 50-50 game. I've got no... I'm not going to sit here and go, England are definitely going to win. I hope <laughs> we do, but I'm, I'm not, I'm, I, I, I can't say I'm confident, but then I'm also... It's a one-off game. It's tournament football. We're more than capable of beat, beating them. So, we'll see. We've got home advantage. It's going to be absolutely buzzing, Wembley. So, we'll see. Hopefully, those old those old Italian legs are full of lactic acid from the other night. <laughs> Uh, Gianni, I I was at that Spain Italy game, and I'm also I'm also of the feeling that like that's probably one of the worst performances from Italy this tournament. Still won the game, obviously, which is important. But I felt yeah. like, and it often happens in tournament football, a team peaks really early. I, I don't know if you feel like Italy have peaked. You obviously watched them more closely than me. Do you agree with Tom that that as an England fan, you might have gone actually? I don't mind taking on Italy all of a sudden because of what Spain done to, to Italy. Yeah, I can't lie, Rambo. Like, I, I, I'm with you on that. I was at the Spain game too, and I felt the same. But I mean, I do feel like we've peaked. That, that is a slight concern of mine. But at the same time, whilst we may have peaked, I still feel like our second best might be good enough. I know this is fighting yeah. talk. Our second best still might be good enough to see us through to beat England. But like, like Tom, like I'm massively reserved because I know it could. I, I know the strength of the opposition, right? And. England at the back have been so bloody good, haven't they? I mean, mm. Maguire looks like a man possessed. Uh, he, he's putting his head on everything. That's so tight at the back. We haven't seen any Pickford Howlers leading to goals yet. Um, and then the, Sterling's got to be up for man of the tournament and Kane's so clinical. Like, there's there's fear there. But I do, we say it all the time, and I said it going into the Spain game, like, it's all about the midfield battles, right? And it's he yeah. lost the midfield bat- battle, but still went through on pens. And my glimmer of hope, because it does feel like the stars have aligned with England, the good side of the draw, the Wembley advantage, football's coming home, all of that. It just feels like it's going to happen. But then I look at the midfield and I go, Rice and Phillips versus Jorginho, Verratti and Barella. That makes me confident. So yeah. it's six of one half dozen of the other. And I just hope, I hope the team that wins it deserves to win it. I don't want to lose to England on a scrappy VAR decision or pen. I'd rather get battered and then I can sleep easy at night knowing we weren't the better team. <laughs> yeah. um, so it's it's going to be drama, isn't it? It's probably going to go to extra time and pens and I, my heart can't take it now. I don't know what I'm going to be like. <laughs> <after that night. laughs> um, Tom, is there an argument to say Pickford against Denmark looked very shaky at times? It's look, I'll, I'll give him that. It's the first, to be honest, it's probably the first bad game I've ever seen him having an England shirt. Like, for all his faults and calamities at Everton, he's like a different player for England. He just he's, he's just unreal for us. But I think that's a really good point he's made about the midfield battle. And usually, I'd agree, like, whoever wins your midfield battles tends to dominate and win the game. But England aren't going to set up, we're, we're not going to set up to try and out possess Italy. That ain't going to happen because we, we can't, we're not good, we're not good enough to do it. But I think if we can, 
with the legs and the pressing of Rice and Phillips, if they can get into Jorginho early, because Jorginho is the key to Italy. If you can stop him playing and breaking lines, we can kill Italy on the break, like big time with Sterling, Saka. Like that, you've got to. Th- Italy are gonna know they can possess the ball, but they're also going to be thinking at the back of their mind, okay, maybe I don't play that more risky pass because if it loses, I've got these wingers coming at our uh, old centre halves. I think Italy are going to fear us on, on the break. And then going forward, I don't know, man, I'm like, I like him over, but I don't think he's clinical. I don't think he's like a cane. I think he needs three or four chances. Um, I think Chiesa's brilliant. I don't know if he's going to be starting, John. I don't, no, know, what, I I don't, know, I don't know what I saw the other day with... Um, it wasn't it who, who, who was holding the hamstring when they it came was, off? It, it was, was Chiesa, but it, I think it was cramp. I mean, if he's fit, he's 100% nailed. And he played, he came off for the second half of extra time, didn't he, holding yeah. his hamstring? But I think it was cramp. Let's hope it is because he's got ice in his veins. He's as good as finishing as you'll see. Yeah. For a wide forward, his finishing is just on point. So, yeah. yeah. I'm with you though, mate. Like the the fast wingers, Sterling and Saka, are where England win this game for me against our fullbacks. Like without Spinazzola as well, who we can't be blinkered by the fact. Yes, he's amazing going forward, but he's also clocked up the highest speed. And like Kyle at the Euros, Spinazzola. So like Kyle Walker, we rely on his pace getting us out mm. of mistakes. And uh, especially next to Chiellini and Bonucci, we're slow on the turn. Emerson and then Di Lorenzo's. Yeah, he's pretty sound, but Emerson's not. So the the wide forwards are where England could get joy. But I just hope we're not too high in terms of a defensive line. And I look at the Belgian game and think, we, we dealt with Lukaku all right. So if we can yeah. do that, maybe we can yeah. deal with Kane. But De Bruyne got a lot of success on the transition. And I just hope, I just hope we don't give England too much space because this is not an Italian team of old. We commit men forward. And that yeah, leaves very those true. that play like in the De Bruyne position. So maybe a Mason Mount or your wide forwards drifting inside Sterling, for example, could get a lot of, a lot of space on the counter. Give Sterling space and, yeah, it could be game over. So that scares me slightly. I mean, also it's going to be Mount against Jorginho. If Mount plays in the 10, which he probably will, and nobody knows Jorginho that well, uh, unlike Mount. And Mount is a brilliant uh, counter-presser. He's unbelievable pressing. And also, I think it was the... Ukraine game where he won more tackles than anyone else on the pitch. And obviously it was against Ukraine, but it, sh- it tells you a lot about how he plays for England. I think normally you look at a number 10 and go, ah, he creates chances. He does this, that, and the other, but he does a lot of the dog work. And I think it's going to be his job to stop Jorginho. Yeah. Um, all the all all the stars are pointing towards England here, Tom. <laughs> yeah, no, I, don't, I don't even want to say it out loud, though, but you, you're right. Everything like, even just like, just in the game, yesterday watching it, you just, I don't know about you, Rambo, I just always felt like nah, we're, we're going to get back in. Like, even 1-0 yeah. down, I never thought it's done. I thought we're going to get this back. And as good as Denmark have been and are, I don't know, there's just, there's just been a feeling all the way through. It just keeps, just things keep going our way. Like, obviously, the soft penalty, just this and that. Like, this isn't normal for things to go in yeah. way, the way it is. But then I'm just thinking, oh, it's, just, it's, got, it's got to come to an end. But I can't wait, to be honest. Like, how good is it having the fans back as well? Like the, the semi-finals, the, Wembley's been absolutely bouncing on it. Like Sunday's going to be electric. It just makes everything. It just makes everything so in football. Um, it's the same at the Italy-Spain game. Like I think there's only about 35, 40,000. Gianni, you were at the game, obviously. I felt as though like there was such an atmosphere of we're just here to watch football. Like there's a lot of yeah. people who like had like Norway fans sat like down the road, down, yeah. down my like down my side. And we had a South Korean fan on the other side. I was like, everyone here is just like, this is mm. freaking football, isn't it? Like, we all mm. just here to watch football. Absolutely loved it. Um, 
Gianni, on your side, before before Tom came on, we had a, a little chat about Italy and how it's not actually gone Italy's way over the years either. And I always think about narrative in these tournaments because they always some some sort of narrative always happens. You have like Southgate's, I guess Southgate's regret or redemption after what happens mm. here with the missed pen. But you also have Mancini's regret of not playing in Italian ninety. And there's a feeling of maybe that's the narrative for Italy. I hope so, mate. I really do. Like I. There's, there's so many narratives going on. I was even reading this morning. I didn't realise Gareth Southgate had put one on um, Federico Chiesa uh, back in the day and it, like in Rome. And it's like, OK, those two have even had a little scrap. So, I mean, we've lost a couple of finals. At the same time, I look at the home advantage for England. And whilst that's massive, I think, oh, we've done well in the past when we've gone to other countries against home support. You know, the last big trophy we won was the World Cup. And in 2006... That was in Germany and there we were. It was, uh, I think it was Dortmund for the semi-final and then the final in Berlin. You know, 95% of those stadiums were full of German fans and um, for, that, for that semi-final, yeah. we still did it. So, um, yeah, it, it could backfire. The pressure with fans, is it's great having the fans on side, but at the same time, you make a couple of bad moves and I'm not, that these England fans are not going to get on top of their team. They're not going to, there's going to be no negativity, but at the same time, you can feel that crowd on top of you and the expectation. Yeah. So it yeah. could it could it could play the other way. It could play into Italy's hands. But yeah, of course, it looks like it's advantage England for sure. All right. Well, let's have a prediction then, Gianni. We'll go with you first. I'll go with Tom. What what, <laughs> what do you think is going to happen? And I want a detailed detail, not like a, just a score prediction. I think we win the midfield battle. I think we keep possession and we create chances. But I think England on the break could could score against us for sure. Like Sterling and I think if Saka starts, and I think he will, I think they could really hurt us wide. And we know Kane's so smart in the box. So I think I think it's obviously finals are always tight, right? We rarely see sort of goals flying in everywhere. If this was a friendly, I I could see goals. But being a final, I could see one one. I think Italy will probably I could see them scoring first. England equalise. Italy will get tired quicker than England. And then I think the game could go extra time. And in that extra time, I think Italy will play for pens as they did against Spain. Um, England have got such strength on the bench, right? You can bring on a Grealish or a Foden. We can bring on a Bernadeschi or a, or a Bellotti. It's not quite the same. Mm. So, but then if it goes pens, Rambo, I'm confident. Like <laughs> I look at Kane's penalty versus Jorginho's penalty, right? The biggest kicks of these guys' lives. Kane bottled that pen last night. That was a Morata penalty. Um, and look what Jorginho did. So, look, I also look at keepers in penalty shootouts. Donnarumma, for the four Spain penalties, went the right way on three of them and mm. got his hand to one and almost a hand to another. Save one, other one went over. So I'd back Donnarumma over Pickford. But then at the same time, I'm like, penalties is all about the coin toss for me. If it's <laughs> at the right end, and if you go first, you're at a massive advantage. In Italy against Spain, they won the toss for the end, and then they won the cost, toss for the um, going first as well. So, yeah, it's six one half dozen the other, like I said. But I do think if it goes pens, we edge it. Tom? Um, I, I do agree, and I, I will never, ever, ever be confident with England in the penalty shootout, <laughs> even even though we won the last one. But I did see something really interesting today about teams who've had already had a penalty shootout and then have their second, like the record, they're like, pretty much they've lost every single time. If you, if you have two penalty shootouts in a tournament, they always seem to lose the second one, mm. which is, it kind of makes sense if you look at it from a sense of how good are Switzerland's penalties against France than you saw them against Spain? Is that because they're overthinking it, thinking, oh, they've already seen which side I'm going, blah, 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 I don't know. But in terms of the game... 
but it's very boring. But I'm similar to Gianni. I really do. I've, got, I've just got one. I've got one one imprinted in my head, and I, but I think I, I fancy us. I'm quietly confident we'll beat you in extra time. I think those legs will go, man. I really think those Italian legs are going to go. Um, I think we had a lot less of a taxing time than you did yeah. uh, in your semi final. Italy were chasing that ball for a long time the other night. Like they, they didn't have a lot of the ball. Like we haven't had one injury so far. Obviously, you've had uh, Spinazzola, other players. Just, I mean, it might have been crampness and that, but a few knocks here and there. England have just had clean, plain sailing. Odd fan, but then again, a part of me thinks Italy won't score. Like we've only conceded one goal. And it's a set piece. I just think, okay, we do give chances up, but unless it's Chiesa, I'm not sure how clinical the Italian players are. So. Do you know what? I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go two nil England. <laughs> I think. I think we'll nick. I think we'll nick a goal on the break, and then then late on in in the ninety, Italy will go for it and we'll hit you again, and we'll get a second. Hopefully. <laughs> oh, the br- the br- <laughs> after saying I, you basically gone like I don't ever back England, and then gone I'm back. <laughs> I'm, I'm here for it. Oh, thank you so much, boys. Class. Hopefully, um, it. I really just want a really good final. Obviously, I'm it an England be. fan. Um, it's it's yeah. two brilliant, two really good sides at the end of the day. So it's yeah. going to be a good game. England have achieved the somewhat impossible dream of making a final, led by a man who's been criticised so much. Uh, I'm joined by Freddie Paxton, sports journalist. How are you doing, my friend? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. I'm very good. I'm I'm guessing everyone's just buzzing at the moment, Um, especially after what Gareth Southgate and England have done. Let's go to Gareth Southgate first, because as I just mentioned, he was criticised an awful lot at the start of the tournament and actually during as well. Um, What have you made of him so far? To be completely honest with you, um, I'm not going to sit here and say that I wasn't one of the people that was being slightly critical of him because I was. I I was feeling quite, I wouldn't say pessimistic before the tournament, but I guess I didn't want to get my hopes up. And also, um, you know, in the same way that a lot of people have seen some flaws with Southgate, I, I did think the same thing. Um, we saw in some of the warm-up games as well a bit of a reluctance to use certain players. We were all sort of, I think, hoping to see more of Grealish at the start and there was a lot of pressure on him in that way but I think actually the way that the tournament's unfolded and the way that he has selected his teams um, really he's been justified in his decision making I think um, you know the team have performed uh, relatively well We've, we took a little bit of a while to warm up um, and we didn't maybe play the, the most expansive football especially in the earlier games um, but I think obviously we've we've looked really resolute defensively we've only conceded that that goal last night uh, was the first one uh, I think Pickford ended up breaking a record for the most minutes without conceding a goal for England, taking over from Gordon Banks. So it's, you know, we've looked really resolute and that's been encouraging. And I think last night we showed even more of, you know, that we can play a slightly more exciting brand of football as well, keep the ball really well um, and use the pace that we've got. And and we did that really well last night. So, yeah, we've progressed well. um, And I've been impressed with the way that Southgate's managed it. I mean, there was a a moment in the game where obviously Grealish was substituted and that I think that might have symbolised how onside we all are now with Gareth Southgate because, for as you just mentioned, we've hated the fact Grealish hasn't played and he got substituted. And apart from the commentators, even they didn't even really go after Grealish getting substituted. 
generally speaking, people are like, yeah, it makes sense. If that had happened two games ago, <laughs> the papers would have been all over him. I think that showed a lot of courage and also a lot about what Gareth Southgate is as a manager. For sure. I think one of the big criticisms of him in the past has been, is he a bit of a yes man? Is he just an easy guy for the for the FA to kind of just get along with? You know, he says the right things. But actually, he did make a bold decision and he probably knew that people would be looking at it at first thinking, wow, like that's a, that's a bold thing to do to sub a sub. Um, I think it's the, only the third time that that's ever happened to an England player. I think it's Jamie Redknapp and... Aaron Lennon, I believe I read yeah. somewhere, the Good only knowledge. other two that that's happened to. Um, so, you know, it's uh, it, it was a bold decision, but it, I think it had to be either him or Foden because Sterling was playing so well. Um, he was providing a lot of threat. Southgate knew in his own words that Denmark liked to kind of go 4-2-4 when they're chasing the game and throw loads of players forward. So to bring that extra defender on, um, it really was going to have to be one of the substitutes that was going to have to be sacrificed. And Grealish did try and force a few passes and gave the ball away a couple of times, which obviously, you know, that, that can be excused. But even Grealish himself apparently took it really well when Southgate explained it to him. was like, you know what, boss, we've just, we've just made to the final, so I don't really care. That's exactly what I was going to say. Like, the... Def- that, again, tells you a lot about Gareth Southgate. You've got a top player, a really top player, a fan's favourite. When he gets subbed on, that's probably the most chairs you'll hear for any player. He comes on and everyone just lights it up. The fact that he turns around to his international manager in a semi-final uh, of a Euros, we don't know how many more times he's going to get that chance, and says, fair enough for taking me off after bringing me on. It tells you a lot about Gareth Southgate's man management. He's getting respect from a really, really top player. Yeah, 100%. The, the squad are obviously really happy. Uh, there seems to be a real big sort of harmony between them. And we all know, you know, we don't need to go over how that's not really been the case in the past. Um, and I think he's done really well in that sense. He's also done really well to kind of galvanise the media to get behind the team and improve relations between the players as a squad, but also with the media. And I think the whole thing's just quite harmonious and they all seem to be on the same page. Um, so, yeah, you know, he's done a really good job man management-wise. Yeah, and then also, again, on his man management... Raheem Sterling hasn't had the best six to 12 months on the pitch for Man City. He's been England's main man and he tore Denmark to shreds. He was all over him, um, won the penalty as well. Yeah. He, him being behind Simone Kier led to the own goal as well. Um, that again has been pretty astounding because if we regard Pep Guardiola as the master, the, the best manager or coach in the world at the moment, Gareth's got to get a bit of praise for this. Yeah, I mean, he's he's definitely uh, looked at a completely different player in this tournament than he did, you know, during the season for Man City. I think even at the start, you know, uh, of the tournament, he was played and he was one of the ones where Southgate was kind of under a bit of pressure to maybe drop him, even after the first game where he scored the goal. Um, he, you know, you know, there was a bit of pressure saying, well, Sterling didn't really do much, but actually he's just got on with it. Obviously, he knows the manager backs him and that gives players a lot of freedom on the pitch. You can see with the way that he played last night, you know, he just wants to he just wants to light it up. You know, he wants to do well in front of our fans at Wembley and he's just playing with a lot of freedom. And like you said, he absolutely tore Denmark to shreds last night. So Southgate takes some credit for that, for sure. And I think along the tournament, what we've seen, and I'd probably praise Italy for this as well, is these two managers, Mancini and Southgate, have navigated their squads really well. Um, like we've seen Sancho at exactly the right time against Ukraine and he was dangerous that game. Uh, we've seen Trippier against Croatia and then not seen him again. We saw James against Germany. Um, yep. Was it Germany? I think it was Germany, yeah. I believe so. Um, and I think he's navigated the players around at exactly the right time, used the right time players. We've seen Saka, we've seen Foden. Uh, but the one that's not changed is Harry Kane. 
and he's been under a lot of stick this tournament, but it feels like he's turned the corner. It does. I think that the turning point, the obvious one was obviously the Germany game where he got that goal and you could see the relief in his celebration. Um, it's, it's, a, it's the famous thing, isn't it? You know, these strikers go to tournaments and they're, they're under pressure to, to bag goals as they do week in, week out for their clubs. But it's a different environment and sometimes it does take them a little bit of time to, to get going. He's got a lot of pressure on him, but obviously hugely respected within the squad. And, and you could see how happy they all were for him when he scored that goal. And, and I think a lot of us said, yeah, this could be now where the sort of floodgates open and this is where it turns around. Um, and look, he was he was great last night, played really well. He won man of the match a little bit controversially because obviously we, we all, I think, would say that it should have been Sterling. But um, he, I mean, he, I, he I, th- I thought Kane played really, really well. I think that the the sort of, I mean, he, his pass led to Saka's assist. It's an incredible pass. Yeah. It's just his name's not Kevin De Bruyne, so we're not going to talk about him much. Um, but it's a sensational yeah. pass. It unlocks that defence. I think it was a pretty fair argument for him to have it. Sterling also did play very well. Yeah, no, he did play very well. And you mentioned Saka as well, I think. Um, the partnership that he showed with with Harry Kane last night, the understanding that those two have, uh, obviously club rivals, but but they they played like they've been playing together week in week out last night because that link up on the right, like you said, it undid them for that goal and the intelligence of Saka to make that run, but also Kane to sort of drop in and and make that part. You know, so so much ability, uh, not just a one dimensional centre forward. So yeah, it was great to see that last night. He did play very well. Mm. And then let's talk about this team then because we've spoken a lot about Gareth Southgate. How, how far do you think this team can go, regardless of what happens in this Euros? It feels like it's a very young team. There's a lot of players who probably can play at least the next two tournaments, uh, like your Henderson, your Canes, uh, Maguire, and, and so on and so forth, Walker as well. Where do you think this team can go? Yeah, well, let's not forget that the next World Cup is actually only a year away because yeah. of this delay that we've had. So if England, you know, off the back of this tournament, whether they win it or not, they're going to be full of confidence. They're now going to be seen as one of the top teams. Um, we knew we had exciting players, but now they seem to really be able to, to do it as a team. They've all got a bit more experience now than they did at the last World Cup as a team. Um, so I think, how far can this team go? Well, if they were to win this tournament, then they're going to, as I said, be full of confidence and be ready to sort of tackle the tackle the upcoming World Cup. So there's no reason why we can't be one of the leading teams in that. Obviously, you've got a lot of South American countries that, that come into the equation as well that aren't in this tournament. And it's just a different beast, the World Cup. But, you know, there's a lot of players in this squad who've got long careers ahead of them, who play for top clubs already, that are getting big exposure uh, on a European stage at club level and then coming and doing it for their countries as well. Even the likes of people like Jude Bellingham, who, you know, is not obviously going to get that many minutes at the moment but at 19 years of age you know he's got a massive massive international career ahead of him and is getting so much exposure so it's really exciting to think and uh, and and yeah I, I, there's no reason why we can't be serious contenders for the next world cup and, and tournaments going forward love them love the confidence um on the basis of everything we've discussed and i had this conversation earlier this week this golden generation conversation always comes up is there now an argument to say that this is the golden generation Potentially, yeah. I mean, it's it's a term that I don't really like to use because obviously, when we when we associate golden generation with England, we think about um, the the teams that you know the Lampards, the Gerrards, the Skulls, and the struggle that we had to fit them all into the same team and stuff like that. Whereas this is a little bit different. I think we do have a lot of really talented players, but there's no sort of um, apart from maybe Harry Kane. Um, off the top of my head, there's no real sort of world superstar that you would say is like world class, like sort of undoubtedly world-class player. I mean, there obviously are very, very, very good players, but um, I, I think this is a little bit different in the sense that we've got an extremely talented, young, um, yet somehow somewhat experienced squad and they seem to just work together well as a dynamic. So, um, so yeah, but but if they go and win a tournament, then yeah, this will be described as our 
as our golden generation, but obviously a big hurdle in the way with Italy. So maybe the term needs changing. Maybe like I think we go golden generation and think, ah, we've got the like the best players. But like, mm. it, it, you know, what it reminds me of Henderson and Gerard. That debate of like Gerard is like the golden player, but Henderson's the better captain. He's won but more trophies. He leads the team better. I think yeah. that the, maybe the definition of golden generation might need to change a little bit to, to accommodate the, what this this team is doing. Yeah, no, I completely agree. It's not always just about having the superstars. You're right. And I think the Gerard and Henderson debate is a good one, a good example to kind of contextualise that. I do think that undoubtedly, if 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 we go and win the Euros now, um, this will be forever remembered as, as a golden generation of, of English football and Southgate, obviously, maybe wasn't expected to be the man to deliver that. But look, he's got us to the semi-final of the World Cup. People said, well, maybe it's because we didn't play that many good teams, etc. But then the way that he's navigated this tournament as well, you know. So so a, a golden manager maybe to, to to cap off a golden generation of players too. Amazing. Uh, Freddie, thank you so much for your time, man. No problem. Thanks for having me. We are joined by Sam Tai, co-host of the Ranks FC podcast. Before I say hi to you, I just want to very quickly say, I do genuinely listen to Ranks, literally religiously, and it is very good. So if you don't listen to Ranks podcast, Ranks FC podcast, go and give it a listen. Uh, Sam, my friend, how are you doing? I'm good, mate. Thank you for the kind words. I appreciate that. I do. I've, ever since you guys invited me on, it became a religious thing. I've got to, got to tune in and it's good. It's good. I thought you were going to say ever since I came on, it's been brilliant. Uh, I mean, what? you may have been the platform for success. I, I don't know. We don't have the statistics to, to either prove that or disprove it. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a good it's a good it's a good place. And if you are looking for another podcast, not to steal anybody, you know, add it on, add it on to your agenda and your rotation. Very good, very good, very good plug. Um, anyway, it's obviously the Euros. You've been grafting, making podcasts on podcasts on podcasts. So for the first time, uh, I'm, I imagine one of the few times you've been able to spare five or ten minutes, you're hopping onto some uh, onto the nub. Um, and let's go right into it. It's been an incredible Euros. I actually think it's probably in the top two that I can remember, Euros and World Cup combined. Um, where does it rank for you? Well, it has been absolutely amazing and it's it's beautiful as well because we really didn't know what we were getting did we at the end of that's the season that we've just seen the sort of um constricted kind of like compacted coronavirus season where there've been no fans at grounds and it's been a bit haunting at times it's been a bit full on at times the football kind of has felt like it has never stopped but also that you don't want it to stop but that you're desperate for it to stop mm. it's been a bit weird it's like what would i do without football but it's literally drowning me at this point so it's been a bit weird and i had no idea what to expect part of me thought everyone is going to be exhausted and this is going to be terrible and i mean they might be exhausted but it has not been terrible man yeah. oh it's been so entertaining and once you get to those knockout stages, you like you finish a day and you're like, that was a brilliant day of football. Yeah. That might have been the best day so far. The following day, that was a great day of football. <laughs> I think that might have been the best so far. And it's like you know, Spain beat Croatia. That was the best game so far. You know, Denmark do something. And it's like, it's been nonstop, hasn't it? Just like hit after hit after hit. It's been amazing. And, you know, it does it does very much rank right up there with, with I think it's probably the best Euros I've seen. Um, and 
it's right up with this with the sort of like nostalgia fuzzy mm. sort of sepia toned world cup memories i have you know 98 2002 those ones skiving off school to watch the games and stuff like that it does feel like it's in that company yeah yeah it's i think like you said there was a day the day switzerland and france played there was two incredible games on that day i yeah. don't think i've experienced a day of football where it's been so good for like six hours straight. Like it was just <laughs> absolutely unreal. And my team wasn't involved. Like it's not often you get that where your country or your club isn't involved and you get that like anxiety attack inside you. And it's like, it's just all over the shop, but you're just loving it at the same time. Well, I mean, look what those games ended 5-3 th- and then 3-3 three, three, uh, and the 3-3 three, three went to penalties. You better be glad your nation wasn't involved in those <laughs> games. That we'd we'd all be we'd all be have cardiac arrest. It'd be terrible. Like it'd be, it'd be so difficult to deal with. Like I'm so I'm so pleased. I'm so pleased that England have just kind of got it done. And obviously against Denmark, it was it was the most difficult game yet, and it was in the balance more than it ever has been. But you know, going about the business in a nice, quiet, and tidy fashion. That's that's what I like. That's for me. Yeah, it's much more in, enjoyable as a neutral watching other teams like squabble uh, over penalty shootouts and everything else. Um, is there any players that stood out for you? Because I think you know, like every Euros, every competition. The one that sticks out for me is Milan Barosh. I don't know why, but whenever I think of a competition <laughs> player, it'd be Milan Barosh. And obviously in this competition, Perisic, Shakiri, them types of characters have come to life. Has anyone else stood out for you? Well, I think for me, this is going to be the tournament for the uh, for the wrong-footed fullback and for the left back. Yeah. I don't think I'll ever see an, as many left backs perform so brilliantly. Um, it's not particularly new to to Euro twenty twenty coverage, but watching like Luke Shaw and and Joachim Mailer and Spinat Sola fly up and down has been a genuine genuine treat. Um, I'd seen Mikhail Damsgaard a few times before this tournament, but not very much. And I definitely definitely know who he is now. Um, but I think for me, this is going to be the tournament where the two midfielders in particular define it for me. Pedri, for his un- undying brilliance at 18 years of age in an extremely dysfunctional Spanish side, he stepped in and was basically their best player every single time they played. And that will stay with me for a long, long time. Some player. Yeah. And the other player that will stick with me for different reasons is Pierre-Emil Hoybier who I think has been absolutely titanic. And look, we know what's happened to Denmark. We know it's been tough for them. They've, they've had to recover, regroup. They won that phenomenal game against Russia to sneak through the group stages and they've put together an incredible run. And it's been Pierre for me that has been the absolute fulcrum and heartbeat of that team. And he's a brave boy to step forward in the way that he has done on multiple occasions. And I think I'll, I don't think I'll ever forget what Hoybier has managed to do given the circumstances of his team situation. He's a real warrior, isn't he? I think Smokey yeah. has been spoken about a lot. Uh, and yeah. he had, I'm not saying Hoiberg's more of a warrior, but I think Hoiberg's just been, even, even against England, it was the 99th minute and he was still at it. Like, And, and you have to remember the season he's had at Tottenham, he's played nearly every single minute for Tottenham. Yeah. Um, and he's been stellar for them as well in a really dysfunctional Spurs team for the most part of the season. And then he's come and played for Denmark, everything happened with Ericsson, and I just think he's one of these players, we don't talk about him enough. We, we have to start talking about players like him because naturally, I, I mean, Damsgaard is a special, special player. I mean, he looks like he's 12, but he's a special footballer. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then obviously you have Pedri, but um, Patrick Schick hasn't had a mention. I thought you might give Patrick Schick a mention. 
Well, you know, at the moment, I'm sort of putting together my, my team of the tournament. Uh, you know, you've got to leave a space up front just in case Harry Kane gets a hat-trick in the final. But if Harry Kane doesn't pull an absolute madness, I think it probably will be Patrick Schick. Schick is just a funny one to me. I, I find him extremely amusing. Did you ever watch him back when he was a teenager? Yeah. He was a, when he was a winger. And he was really fast, really skillful, really quick feet, kept chopping and changing sides. And, like, and then he just grew like one foot <laughs> and it turns out the guy is a monster he's even taller than me he's like six foot five and he can't do that anymore and so i'll never not giggle when i see patrick schick play football because i know what he was and i know what he is now but yeah he's been i think for me probably the surprise star mm. i never thought in a million years we'd be sat here with patrick schick on five goals well that i is- mean the, the journey the guys had is literally there, there were moments where i think a couple of seasons ago maybe three seasons ago it was like, oh, this this kid could go far. Uh, and now typically he's linked to West Ham straight after the tournament. <laughs> West Ham are the team that will sign tournament players. Yeah. Um, apart from him, is there anyone else you think might get a big money move that you've gone, oh, he, he could get a big, big deal somewhere? Well, I think Damsgaard is, is definitely in that conversation. Um, I think even though Joachim Mela only joined Atalanta last summer, I think he's been so good that he might have actually just forced himself into that conversation. Mm. Even though after even the groups, I was saying, no, 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 no. He's only he's only joined Atalanta in the last year. Like he's playing Champions League football. Like there's no need to pull that trigger. And then literally about two, two games later, I was like, he's amazing, pull the trigger. <laughs> so I, I think they're in the list. But I think Locatelli has astounded a lot of people. And there's, oh, for me, there's no way, there's no way this guy starts the season with Sassuolo. It just can't happen. You know, if it's if it's Juventus, great. If it's someone slightly further down, whatever. But this can't continue for any longer. And I think going back to the groups, and it does feel like a long time ago, right? Denzel Dumfries is surely going to be moving to Inter Milan or something uh, based on his performances. He's perfect for that right wing back slot as well for Simone and Zaghi's team. And then the absolute off-piste one, because I did really enjoy Macedonia, or North Macedonia, I should say. I really enjoyed their games. I know it didn't really go to plan, but they felt like they were very close to pulling something quite special off. And Ennis Bardi, I thought, was sparkling in every game that he played. They played for like Levante's mid-table La Liga side, 40-odd points last summer. You can buy you can buy Ennis Bardi for ten million, and you should buy Ennis yeah. Bardi for ten million. Yeah, I think pre pre tournament, I tipped him to be the main man for North Macedonia because obviously I've watched him at Levante, and he's a set piece merchant. Um, if I was in his team, to be honest, I'd just be like, just get a corner every yeah. opportunity, just get a corner. Um, is there any countries you thought did particularly well or particularly poor? Apart from Turkey, because I'm bored of hearing Turkey with the team. I knew you were going to say Turkey. No, 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 no. I didn't say Turkey. You said Turkey. I didn't say Turkey. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Look, look there, there is a team that I think were really poor, and not that many people seem to agree with me, but I think they're a contender for the second worst team in the tournament. And it is a bit of a bold call because they qualified for the knockout stage. But I did not see one thing from Wales that I that, that I was like, oh, yeah, you're quite good. They were rubbish. Like, rubbish. They were so lucky to get a draw against Switzerland in the first game. Their midfield was a sieve, right? They let everything through. Then, they, obviously, wow. they get the business done against the worst team in the tournament in Turkey. And then they got battered by Italy, but somehow only lost 1-0 because they missed all their chances and hit the post and stuff. And then they go to the round of 16 and they get, like, smoked by Denmark absolutely smoked steamrolled and i just never looked at wales and thought yeah 
yeah, you're pretty good. Or, oh, you've got a, a good game plan or you're very solid. They put their center backs under so much, so much pressure, Rambo. Like the midfield stops nothing. The forwards didn't press. They didn't really provide that much of a threat. It was mostly just kick it to Dan James. Honestly, it you was like, what is it? I, feel I, was, like, I was, I feel like you've really studied this, like, I, hate, I, I just hate for Wales this tournament. Because every time I mention it, everyone's like, no. And I'm like, okay, I'll go back and look. I, I mean, I must, I, don't, have, I must have it wrong, but I don't think I'm wrong, mate. I think they were rubbish. I don't completely disagree. I think the Turkey game probably has left a lot of football fans thinking they're actually a good side. But I think if you think back to that second goal, was it where Bale did the corner trick twice in a minute and they fell for it both times? Probably tells you it was Turkey that were bad and maybe not Wales that were good. But well, the only they, they won one game and it was against the worst team in the tournament. And they were lucky to get the point against Switzerland. They got battered by Denmark. They got battered by Italy. I, I can't say that 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 many good things about them, honestly. Uh, I, I just can't. It's a bit of a bold call, though, because they did make it through to the round of 16. But like Scotland, for me, were significantly better, despite not qualifying. They looked like a much better side. Um, the Czechs uh, surprised me a little bit in a good way. And the Swedes, I don't know why I'm always surprised by the Swedes. They're always this good. But uh, I slept on them again, and I apologise. They're always there and thereabouts. They're one of those teams. Yeah. They, 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 get in, they get involved only as far as they can get involved. Um, is there any stories that you've absolutely loved, aside from, of course, Denmark? I think they've become everyone's second favourite country. Yeah, aside from Denmark and obviously becoming the second team for everybody, um, I loved anything fan content-wise involving Scotland. Yeah. <laughs> um, they were great. They were great fun, weren't they? Bring them back. Even if they don't qualify for any more tournaments, just bring them back in like a Copper America style Henri inviting yeah. <laughs> position because their fans are just too good, man. Too good. Um, I did have to think back a little bit for this, but when Attila Fiola scored for Hungary, ran over okay. to that poor lady and destroyed her desk. <laughs> I mean, it's that was it feels like a long time ago, but I did really enjoy that. And then lastly. Roberto Mancini doing a post-match interview with his jacket hooked over his shoulder, <laughs> looking like a Giorgio Armani model. I mean, that was sensational. So there is a lighter side to football that I can enjoy as well. And there's the evidence, Rambo. There's the evidence. I'm, I'm glad to be fair. I was waiting for you to say I haven't enjoyed anything. I don't love any stories. <laughs> no, I just hate Wales, apparently. That's it. Yeah, clearly, clearly. Um Lastly, then, what are your few highlights from the tournament football-wise? I think Roberto Mancini with his jacket over his shoulder is probably my one of my personal favourite moments because you don't see it very often, and he is just a very, like, very attractive man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in, I mean, in in actual football terms, watching those games in the in the round of sixteen, the round of sixteen was amazing, and I was able to obviously we all got to watch like you know Switzerland and France go to penalties and, and Spain and Croatia, but I did get to one game uh, very lucky to do so I guess a lot of people were like if you got to one I know you went to one recently mate anyone that got to one is lucky yeah um given the paucity of tickets and the situation we're in and uh, I did get to go and watch Italy versus Austria um it was my first game of football for 15 months and it wasn't the most amazing game but I appreciated every single second of it because it had been so long and I was treated you know I waited uh, 15 months and I got 120 minutes, not 90 minutes. So I was yeah. very thankful for that. Um, and I was I was watching a David Alaba masterclass until David Alaba messed it all up. So uh, the highs and lows of a football game, I guess. But the obvious, the obvious high is is England's journey, right? And 
I've been able to enjoy some of it with friends, some of it in the pub, but obviously in my line of work, you do have to work a few of these games. So I've done what I can to enjoy it, made my piece on the other games, but it's been unbelievable. What a perfect way to end this chat. You've left me with a really positive feeling in my belly. After the Wales rant, I thought it was just going south. But um, again, Sam, thank you so much, man. Absolutely class. Yeah, lovely, mate. Thank you. It doesn't matter what happens in the final, win or lose. Uh, You have to praise the values of this England team. A team built on real leaders, anti-racists, knee-takers despite the booze, cohesive despite the rumours, free school meal campaigners and above all, representative of all the good in England. You have to be proud of this team. And if you enjoy this podcast, then make sure you like, follow and subscribe. And we'll see you on the final episode after Italy against England in Euros 2020 final. Manager, a flashy suit, a track suit, or is it down to luck? Decision making, wheeling and dealing, or signing star players. At the end of the day, it's about getting results. Oh, my fan is the new free to play app. Open packs, collect players, then pick your team and crush the opposition. This is the next level fantasy football. Think you've got what it takes? Stop talking and start proving. There's £125,000 up for grabs. OldmaFan.com. Download the app now. Must be 18 years or older. Terms and conditions apply. Please play responsibly.